there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. This is The Gala Show. I'm your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery. On this episode, my guest is a natural in front and behind the camera, and every time he graces my feet, I'm charmed by his creativity, wit, and chaotic sense of humor. You probably know him as an actor who has been featured in countless projects, such as TV shows like The Gifted, Between, or Netflix Wednesday, along with feature films such as 2014's Night of the Museum or 2022's I Like Movies. But here on The Gala Show, I know him as that kid I almost worked with on the adaptation of Neil Schusterman's New York Times bestselling novel, Unwind, Percy Hines White. <laughs> Hi, Percy. Hi, Gala. So it's really funny. So I hadn't seen you in like seven or eight years, maybe longer than that even. Yeah. And then I went to Fred 62's one night, like on a whim after a screening at the Bev. Mm-hmm. I think, or maybe it was Troll 2. No, it was the Bev. I went to the Bev. And I went to Fred 62's and who did I see sitting at like the table, like across? I saw you. Yeah. And we literally did the Spider-Man meme thing. I was like, you're like that. I squinted my eyes. I was like, who's that? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it's Percy. Yeah. So and now I keep seeing you. I keep running into you everywhere in LA now. Mm-hmm. And then we ran into each other at the VHS tape swap. Yeah. The, when they did the night, the first night market they did. Mm-hmm. And then we ran into each other at the random in line at the vet. <laughs> yeah. So I just keep running into you. So it's it's always a pleasant surprise to to see a familiar face. I have yes, this picture man. on my phone of you where you're eating grilled cheese. No way. And like there's a really long string. Oh yeah. I should see if I can find I'll send it to you, but it's like I always I have that photo from when I we love met. a good grilled cheese, man. I that's the only thing I've ever ordered at Fred sixty two, I think. Really? Is the grilled cheese? Grilled cheese banana shake. That's your order? Okay, mm-hmm. so if anyone sees Percy at, at Fred, send him a banana shake his way. So before I bring up the, or before we bring up the topic for today, since you mm-hmm. know what the topic is and I actually don't, I have a question for you. So your father is a writer, actor, director, and your mom is also a writer, producer, director. Mm-hmm. How did growing up with two parents in the industry affect and influence you growing up? Well, I think um, the whole reason I'm doing what I'm doing right now is because my parents had a lot of friends who were they went to theater school with who um, there's this film production program in St. John's in Newfoundland called Telefilm and some of my parents friends made short films my dad was a novelist my mom was a screenwriter and I was just kind of the kid you know in that was always there in that family and they you know I was I think I was a very creative kid and they just always would 
ask my parents, like, does Percy want to be in our, in our short film or does he want to come do this or that? And then I, I did and I loved it. And then I just kind of kept doing it. And then when I moved to Toronto is when I got a manager and all that. And then, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. My, my mom and dad are just the most creative, weird people ever. And they kind of always made me feel like I can do whatever I want in life, you know, creatively. I think that's really special because, I mean, I grew up with it, my dad being yeah. who he is and creative. So I understand exactly how it is. Like when you grow up in a creative environment, you're automatically inclined to be creative because all these and doors to be are yourself. open to you. And to be yourself. And I had the chance to interview uh, Max Brooks, who wrote World War Z and the Minecraft books, and his wife, Michelle, who's a playwright. And they their topic was how do we guide our son who wants to be a creative? Whoa. So I was like, I thought I would think it would be really interesting to ask you how you as a boy were guided by your parents. And <coughs> it's funny. It's the same kind of thing. Just let be yourself. Yeah. Wow. I've never thought about that before. I mean, I have actually, I feel like I think about what, like how I would raise a son or a daughter one day, but yeah, my, my mom and dad always just kind of like emphasize, like just be yourself, use your brain, think, you know, creatively, however you want. And, and they still, every day, they're just like pressuring me to just like, you got to write something. You got to write, 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 yeah, write. Because also writing is therapy. Totally. That's how I feel about it. So now, as always, my guest gets to bring their topic to the mic. Percy, what are we going to be talking about today? And why did you decide to bring it? So I know it's, it might not be the most on topic topic I feel oh, like you believe me if you talked about cheeseburgers my example is always cheeseburgers for 30 minutes I'm down okay so. right <laughs> well I watched this documentary I just I don't know how I don't know what I actually led me to, to watch it but I uh I guess if you as you can see around my apartment like I feel like the past few years of my life I've been very um interested in uh I like childlike art and yeah. visual art and outsider art. And uh, so I watched this, this documentary um, called Turning the Art World Inside Out. And it was just like the most interesting, fascinating thing I've seen. And it just brought all my interests together into one thing. So I, yeah, I'm going to talk about outsider art. But first, time for a commercial break. vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mmm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. And we're back. That's our topic for today, outsider art. I'm going to put 30 minutes on the clock and our time starts 
now. <laughs> so for those that don't know, what is outsider art? I don't really know. Um, oh, that's a great way to start. I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I think it's hard to define. And it's also, a, it was a name like given to, I guess, artists who were never classically trained or who kind of just have this desire to create art as like a type of therapy almost that they just need to. It's like a, a part of their life. They're not doing it for any sort of money or accolades or anything. They just, they just have to create just for the sake of creating. And uh, so oftentimes there will be, it'll be, you know, people with, it could sometimes be people with like um, intellectual disabilities or, or, you know, like a wide scope of mental illnesses or any type of, of person. And a lot of the time, outsider art, um, something that was really prevalent in this, in this movie I watch and also like all the stuff you read on Wikipedia is that these people will go their whole lives without um, their art being discovered or known yeah. or appreciated. And then after they, they die, it gets found and, they, and it then gets like, it becomes reevaluated. It becomes reevaluated. And yeah. also sometimes I'm guessing that a key component of outsider art, as someone who doesn't know anything really about the subject, would be that um, the people just like it's, displaced in time also like it's just not the right time for their art yeah. and we see that also a lot with cinema and like with movies that sometimes a movie just doesn't hit yep. and then 10 15 20 years later it's like hey wait a second this actually is really great mm -hmm. those are those are my favorite type of movies i have like i wrote down some stuff here that i have yeah okay yeah so so these are, I have a few little things here yeah, that you have, from he has around like, my apartment. And I love them. He, one of them is a VHS, which by the way, you guys, Percy does collect VHS. Yeah. I see his collection above <laughs> his dresser right there. So, yeah. So this is one of the examples I have. Like, I feel like, a, um, aside from like the obvious, like you mentioned Troll 2 yeah. earlier. I'm always mentioning Troll 2. I'm <laughs> yeah. obsessed. Like, well, Troll 2, The Room, like, do you know who Neil Breen is? Yeah, Neil Breen. So, I can't watch his movies, but he has a dedicated cult following. Have you seen the video where what, the credits come up on his movie and the audience only claps when it's Neil Breen and when it's <laughs> someone else, it's like, boo. Because <laughs> it's just always Neil Breen because he is really doing it himself. And I can really yeah. appreciate that about him. So that's an example of a person who just has this desire to create that he just like can't stop. He just needs to make these movies, even though he has no training. He has no, you know, it, a lot of people don't, you know, he's met with like backlash and like criticism and a lot yeah. of people don't like them, but he just keeps making them. And that's just, he perseveres. That's one of the most important things about the industry is persevering. Yeah. Same, and art, same yeah. thing with Tommy Wiseau. It's just like, you know, yeah. You, you just got to make this this movie, you know, like it's a really cool. I just I really like that idea that like art is this kind of force, you know, that needs to get out. And it's like this. Yeah. Driving force in life. So um, what is that tape that you're holding? I think you, I think you should read the back of the box, Percy. I think you should tell us <laughs> what it is and give us a little description. Yeah. So this tape is um, it's called Animation for Fallen Catholics, which. Huh. The description is animated short films with some live action surprises featuring a nun on wheels, a priest in purgatory, a cola drinking Christ, whirling virgins, heavy guilt, lots of laughs, and much more. It's this really random tape that I found a couple years ago, but one of the shorts on here is uh, directed by a guy named Chris Sullivan, who made one of my favorite movies ever, 
um, called Consuming Spirits. Mm -hmm. And it's like this stop motion animated feature film that has like very weird audio. It's like all field recordings and sort of like... So it's very surrealist. Yeah, it's, su it's super surreal. And it has like flashbacks that are all hand-drawn animation. And it's pretty much this guy... Uh, made this movie all by himself and it took him years and it's just about like it's a very personal story about I I at least I interpreted it like about his hometown and his childhood and stuff but it's uh it's super jarring it's super weird it's not conventional animation at all and it's just like I just fell in love with it and so this this tape that's his artwork on the cover there oh, okay. I love. Oh, that's so weird. It's like the guy is looking into a mirror, and he's kind of turned into like I don't want to say a pig because it's yeah. almost a pig, but it's like his face is melting. Yeah, but that's one of my favorite tapes I have because it's just. Where'd you Where'd you buy it from? Um, I think I got that one at the Hamilton Antique Mall in Ontario. Oh, in Hamilton though, or <laughs> yeah. in Ontario? Because Hamilton has the best food. Dude, it's a really Hamilton. cool little town. It's, yeah, it's Hamilton's very... food. There's this one taco place. When we were uh, filming Lucky Day, I was taking classes still in college, and one of my classes finished at 10 p.m., and the only place open was this, like, really good taco place. And so when we went back there, we, I just always have to hit up that taco place. Yep. So that's really cool. Have you ever heard of Jan Svankmeyer? Oh, of course. Yeah, Alice. I was going to say, then, like, Jan Svankmeyer must be right up your alley. Yeah, he's one of my favorites, too. I, um... That movie Little Odic that he yeah. had, like, was His one whole of the thing is crazy. freakiest movies ever. But the reason I think why it's so freaky is because it's all handmade. Yeah. I think if it was CGI, like, with the same vision that he had, I don't think it would be as effective. Oh, no, not at all. That, so he, um, Alice specifically, is very similar to Consuming Spirits in that it's just very, like, gothic. It's not, this, it's not the type of stop motion that people are used to where it's, like, these big, you know, sort of cartoony looking clay characters that like or even like felt stop motion it's just very different it's rough around the edges it's just like crazy that's really what I love about it and yeah oh, Alice is yeah and that that is technically like outsider art yeah totally yeah well this is so these are some of the props that I got too is like when you think about what outsider art is it's um the term for it when it first was like a thing I think was art brute which is like oh, yeah. more people know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which means raw art. Yeah. Because it's just art that is not, you know, caged in by any sort of training or, or like rules. And uh, so I got I got two musical examples here too. I got um, The What of Whom by Daniel Johnston. I love that cover art. So yeah, he was, he got, I think his stuff first got really recognized because because of the artwork that accompanied yeah. it. And for what, for those of you that can't see this, obviously, Percy's holding a cassette tape. We are literally going back in time today. <laughs> He's become full nostalgia with me. Yeah, it's so this is a cassette. It's uh, like an original Daniel Johnston cassette tape that he, he would actually make music at home. He, he was like one of the earliest like examples of home recording and like mm -hmm. DIY stuff. And he would he would record it to a cassette tape and then give the cassette tape away to somebody and then go re-record the whole album again to a different tape to give that to someone else. So he just recorded his albums like over and over, did hand-drawn cover art, and then just pr put it on the tape with stickers. And uh, he's got like thousands and thousands of like drawings of the, the, most the, the most random stuff that he would think about. He has like 
obsessive drawings of like Captain America, like the devil. Like that's so interesting. All kinds of weird. So why Americana. why do you think that like well because also I see on this book that I'm sure that you're about to get to it's very <laughs> Mickey Mouse esque. Yeah. But um and I've spoken to several illustrators that talk about how like when they were children like they obsessively one of them Sierra Nielli, obsessively drew Mickey Mouse giving the finger. Right. So it's like this um, kind of rebelling against Americana in a strange way. Yeah. Which I, is very insider to like Mickey Mouse as like an icon is a very inside icon. Yeah. It, I don't, I don't, I've never really thought about it that much, but I, I feel like, yeah, like he had this idea of that, like Captain America was, was he just, he, he was, he really had this emphasis on good and evil and, mm-hmm. and morals, which is another thing that a lot of these outsider artists have is just like this, this, constant battle between good and evil that they that is like represented in this different symbolism that they they use but this guy um joe roberts so this book is like this is the one with mickey mouse on the front (laughs) yeah it's a it's a or mickey mouse super high looking mickey mouse wizard with a key that's just kind of surrounded by a circle of uh eyeballs but this guy so look at look at that he uh Oh, wow. This book also just feels like very handmade, just how even it's printed. Yeah. So that guy, he pretty much would um, do DMT and like crazy psychedelics and then just draw, obsessively draw what he was seeing in when he was on DMT. So there's just all these... It's very colorful. It's really colorful. It's really childlike. It's very like, it looks like... Yeah, it's like almost returning to baby brain, like lizard brain. Yes. Like it's you like go what back, you, would, you regress. What you would doodle in class or something almost. But like he's, this is like, he's seeing this stuff. There's like hallways that are endless that are made yeah, out like of smiley I love, faces. I love this one. It looks like a cat is like jumping out of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, and it, isn't it bizarre that he's, Mickey Mouse is like this recurring character? Yeah. His pure like psychedelic state is well, just... Well, also his childlike state. He's yeah. reverting back to childhood, which probably was Mickey Mouse. Yep. A lot of these examples, like, is this a new example? Like, is this a new artist or is he an older artist? No, this is a this is a newer guy. I feel like, um, I mean, DMT especially is sort of a newer phenomenon. Yeah. Not that new, but, you know. Um, do you feel that the internet kind of amplifies outsider art or kind of takes away from it? Because the internet kind of shows everything that's weird out there now. Mm-hmm. And so do, are there really outsiders still? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, Tommy Wiseau still, I would consider an outsider, but he's an outsider of an industry. Yeah. And he also was, a, you know, I think that was pre-internet that that really became a phenomenon. Like people were going to those, those screenings. Yeah. And like, he does have a really dedicated fan base. Yeah. like, and, But people had never seen like, I feel like something like that before when that was a, a thing. No, mm-hmm. like it, it was the same thing with Eraserhead, why people would go to the, like, the midnight screenings is yeah. because it's like what the hell are we watching? I've well, never seen yeah, a movie like Even this. going all the way back, I mean, I don't think Kubrick was ever an outsider. Like, well, let's be, I'm going to just preface it by saying, I don't think Kubrick's an outsider, but when people would go see 2001, it was failing. And yeah. then he realized that people were going to the midnight screenings high on LSD. Yeah. And so they completely changed the marketing to make it a midnight movie where you'd go and trip yeah. and you'd go and watch it. And it just like upped the box office. Yep. But I don't think he's an outsider. Yeah. I mean, that movie though, there... There's, I don't get it. I'm not afraid to say that I don't understand it. Yeah, that's I, I, I feel like that's what I love about it. It's just sort of a visual, like, I don't know. Do you have a favorite Kubrick? It's probably that one. Yeah, it's, it's probably, that one, 2001. Yeah. But um, as for the internet, I don't know. No, I think that um, 
the internet still hasn't fully embraced. I mean, it's this is where I found all this stuff, obviously, mm-hmm. is the internet, but like it's it, it doesn't fully embrace it in terms of like, you know, like Robert Crumb even. Is, oh, yeah, R. Crumb, yeah. He's still kind of considered an outsider in some strange ways, even though he has a massive following, me being one of them. Yeah. Um, I am definitely, I own one of his original prints. I'm like obsessed. No way. Yeah, I have his self portrait that signed R. Dipshit Crumb. So I got trapped in a storage locker. Well, you got with where? My, uh, in Toronto with my friend. This was when I was like 13. And, um, oh, these are awesome. He I handed was, me, by the way, three Zap comics and one of the artistic comics. Oh, yeah. which is an R. Crumb one. Yeah. So th- that's all. The sensitive artist. <laughs> yeah. But I got trapped in the storage locker because we went in there to get edibles. <laughs> and I was like 14, I think. <laughs> and Wait, why were there edibles in a storage locker? My friend was just hiding them from his parents. But we, he took them and then we tried to open the door and it wouldn't open. So then we had to knock on the door. We were in there for like four or five hours oh my while God. this like locksmith had to come and like literally take the handle off the door. But the uh, thing that kind of got us through it was there was this woman outside the door and she told us her kind of life story and she, she had cancer and she was going through chemotherapy and she was just sitting there. She kind of slid some like, I think Twizzlers under the door. And to then, like keep you guys satiated. Yeah. And then she slid those comics under the door. And she was like, this is this guy, Robert Crumb. Like, you guys would probably love this. Oh, my God. I love that this old lady is like, one, I'm dying. Yeah. Two, here's some Twizzlers. And three, here's our Crumb. Yeah. And wow. so that's when I learned uh, about him. And she said I could keep the comics because they belonged to her boyfriend who, like, she didn't like anymore. So. <laughs> wow. These are special. Yeah. Super. Oh, they're probably my, one of you my know, most. You know, R. Crumb's definitely one of my favorite artists. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, Frazetta, but Frazetta's no way an outsider. These are all like, it's, it's also interesting thinking about like what outsider art is. Like, for example, uh, comics did used to kind of be an outsider thing, like only nerds. And then like, it was kind of a looked down upon thing. And, and especially comics with an X. Oh yeah. Especially the X rated nudie comics. <laughs> and now it's like, that's high art. And also, it's what our entire zeitgeist culture is right now is comic books. Oh, yeah. So it's really weird thinking. And that's not such an extreme example as some of these objects that you've brought, which are definitely fringe material. Yeah. But comics, at one point, were really looked down upon. Yeah. I mean, and also even still, like, they're not fully embraced. Like, I mean, Robert Crumb, you know, he's got some pretty gnarly, like, fucked up stuff that most of the, like... PC internet like just won't I'm ever surprised. understand. I'm surprised that he has not had like some big cancel culture <laughs> thing against him and like I him and the other one is Ralph Bakshi. Oh yeah. If anyone ever tries to cancel my man Ralph <laughs> I am like on the forefront line saying hold on a second we've gone too far now. I think it's just I don't know there's something about that stuff that's just beyond I don't I don't know but but I definitely understand why it hasn't been fully embraced by like internet culture. Only there's slight like sub sections of of it of people that i identify things what's the other audio one that you have so this is brian wilson's smile oh, which yeah this was like he i think re-recorded uh what he was trying to record in the 60s when he had like his whole you know he had this mental breakdown while he was trying to record this album he recorded this one on his own and uh that was i i, I consider him um an outsider because he he used to say that he could hear the music before it was made. He could he could just hear like this, um, you know, fantastic uh, music that he had to channel through him, and like he had he had this like need to create, and so he had such a large vision for this album, Smile, that like 
it could just couldn't get made. Like it was just so large that no, he couldn't cooperate and, and it just, it just fell apart. It's very bizarre. It's really weird, weird stuff that I just, I love it so much. And I think something cool that ties uh, Daniel Johnston and Brian Wilson together is that they were very driven by the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And uh, another like really popular um, underground, you know, semi outsider artist, are Stevie Moore, you know? Yeah. So yeah, he like made, um, he kind of like pioneered the lo-fi. Why do you tend to identify with the outsider rather than the insider in your own personal case? I don't know. I don't know. Like, what is it about an outsider? Because I, I know, like, w- like, why do I like R. Crumb? As yeah, a right? woman, like, should I <laughs> repel R. Crumb and his Amazonian big-breasted women? <laughs> Maybe, but I don't. I love it and I embrace it. Yeah, I don't know either. I, I is mean, it I, an underdog thing? Is it? It could be. I identify with these guys being, you know, obsessive Beatles fans who, who just... You see yourself in them? <laughs> want to, oh, yeah, 100%. What's your favorite Beatles song? <sighs> I really like I'm Only Sleeping, which our Stevie Moore covered. Yeah. And I think, Do you like the cover better? I think Daniel Johnson covered it too. I love, I love them all as, just as life? much, but, yeah. but I think Day in the Life is probably their best song. Yeah. You are, how old are you now? I'm 22. You're 20? As of a couple days ago. Wow, you were just like 12, like seven years ago or whatever. <laughs> how do you think your age affects you liking outsider art? Because it, for me, it seems like besides uh, Joe Roberts, a lot of this is nostalgia. A lot of it is nostalgia. For a place that maybe you never existed. Yeah, I don't know what that is either. I, I definitely, I mean, a lot of my interests are nostalgia-based. Like, I like having just tangible, you know, media instead of just everything existing in this cloud, well, I think is great. And I think that's important, though, because your age group, because I'm 27, so I'm just like one like step age seven years above you or whatever. Yeah. Your generation and kind of my generation, I'm the last age group that kind of grew up with physical things yeah it was like all of a sudden things were just gone there was nothing to hold on to there was itunes was just like you didn't have cds you had itunes you didn't have all this stuff and so are you is it important for your age group to like grab onto these physical things you think i think so it feels Mm -hmm. you know i mean there's there's so much lost media that um just it's just stuff that never got digitized and we I, I'm growing up at least in this world where it feels like anything that I want to know is on the internet or anything that I want to watch or you know experience and when there's something that isn't on the internet it's like whoa I need I need to I need to see it almost does it make you question though like if everything that you want to know is on the internet like does it make you question oh. the knowledge that's there oh 100 percent it's yeah. only it's only like what is it like two percent or, so, or something like that it's like yeah. a the stuff we have access to, but I don't know. I think, yeah, I, I, I guess I, you know, DVD was a thing when I was like three or. Yeah, it's so, kind of like how VHS was for me. Like it was just kind of cycling out like into yeah. DVDs. And then for you, it was probably DVDs were cycling out into just streamed media. Oh, yeah. Do your friends like this kind of stuff too? Or are you kind of an <laughs> outlier? I have a couple friends who, who, I mean, I have one friend my buddy Josh in Toronto who uh, has probably like 2,000 tapes. Wow. Yeah, and he just... All these young tape heads. (laughs) Dude, well, yeah, I mean, nostalgia right now is a very big thing. I mean, we were just talking about, like, most of the successful stuff is is nostalgia-based or is IP-based. Yeah, we were talking about IP-based before our conversation. Like, it's just remakes or it's just, you know, kind of going back to the 80s and back when, you know, everything was... Were things better? 
who knows? I mean, I definitely think that it's it's a weird phenomenon because when you watch a movie on tape, it's like the sound, it sounds like shit a lot of the time. It, it's like... <laughs> the video quality never is quite right. Yeah, but, you know, obviously watching it on the computer is like crystal clear, but it's just there's just something about it being like there. You, like you own it in your hands. Do you, know? you, do you, I don't know, maybe you're too young for this, but um, I used to go on YouTube, like when YouTube was like first around, and I remember these videos being like crystal clear in my brain. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I had like the image, and like now when I revisit them, I'm like, this is 240p. Yeah. Where, how was I seeing this? properly same thing with um earlier animation like i remember the movie hoodwinked i mm-hmm. i watched that movie when i was a little kid and my memory of it is like this great animation but then when you go back and watch that movie it's like it looks like it was made on blender oh my god that was like me with happy feet i <laughs> yeah. rewatched happy feet recently because i was like oh my god happy feet's so good okay happy feet's still really good by <laughs> yeah. the way just so everyone knows all the haters out there happy feet's great but uh I remember my brother was obsessed with Chicken Little mm-hmm. and he used to watch it over and over and like we would watch the special features and that movie, they individually animated each feather on the chicken's head. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Never forget that. But yeah. So I guess you being that young though and identifying with outsider art and nostalgia, does it make you feel like an outsider? Um, no, 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 not no. at all. But I think, I mean, I don't know, but I think... I'm going to try to put it into words. I haven't really thought about it, but I think that um, a part of the reason that I, that it's alluring to people is is because of the whole it being raw art and not, you know, abiding by any rules. Uncensored. Or, yeah, completely uncensored. And it's like this thing that almost you're not supposed to be seeing. Like a lot of these artists kept their work completely private for their whole lives. It's like a secret. A, a, a secret. And... Uh, Vivian Meyer, you know, you know who that is? Tell me who it is. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> okay, well, she was this nanny who was this kind of like really angry sort of nanny and, and she was, she, you know, nannied for these rich kids in, in uh, it was either New York or Chicago or something like that, but she had boxes and boxes and boxes of undeveloped film that she would just take. Oh, yeah, actually, I have heard of yeah. this woman. Yeah. yeah, and she just like filled up a storage locker with just all this film and it only got discovered, obviously, after she was dead. Uh-huh. And then it's just like this beautiful street photography that's just... And not only... It's cultural anthropology, what that woman did, which yeah, is yeah, even yeah. stranger. And I've seen other people do this. My favorite is when I see people buy lots of slide film. Yeah. And they go through and it's like, okay, I just found a bunch of Mexico in the 60s. Or I just found yeah. Egypt in like the 70s. And it's amazing because it's like all this forgotten stuff that really we don't have. Something similar to that is like um, there was this man, James Hampton, who was a janitor and he it was another storage locker find. He spent over 15 years, probably longer, making a throne for uh, like an alien king to to sit in that was adorned with. He just made it out of trash that he would find because he's a janitor trash that he would find on the street like gold and silver foil and made like this entire room full of these crazy ornaments and like bizarre symmetrical sculptures that all the like the throne is just filled with different garbage that is um it's yeah cultural anthropology it's like definitive of the time that he got it like there'll be like a little scrap of comic book from the 60s or like or like candy bar wrapper yeah like all that stuff so whenever they 
get the chance to like you know open up the art when they have to like repair something at the the museum it's being held at they get to see all the little weird things that are that it's filled up with that he like just he kind of obsessively made this stuff because some voice was telling him to and he never he i think he showed two people his whole life his whole life mm-hmm. but it was like his life's work you know and he just kept it in the storage locker do you think that outsider art i'm kind of thinking this now is an oxymoron because for i mean our successful outsider art is an oxymoron because does outsider art become insider art insider so, art so yeah great question there's this one guy Oh, I forget his name right now, but... Um, well, Neil Breen, even. He Neil is Breen, technically an outsider, but he has a huge fan base. Yeah, so, so... when does he become an insider? There's, uh, like, an outsider art fair mm-hmm. somewhere in the world, and it's, like, a... I, th- it, I think it's hosted at this museum, but there are people who aren't actually allowed in because they were previously considered outsider artists but are now too popular, like... Wow, and that's even crazier because then, like, if the outsider artists have, like, their own insider group, <laughs> Isn't that then, weird? like, you can be an outsider to the outsiders. But a lot of the time, they don't even care for that term or, like, think about that term a lot. They just, like, again, they just create, they have this um, desire to uh, create without any purpose but, like, to just get it out, you know? Yeah, because it's, like, uh, I just, I find it just fascinating that maybe they just, they have no purpose for, like, selling it or anything, so they have, or for fame, so they're, like, I'm not an outsider or an insider, I'm just an artist. Yes. And then other people are kind of placing that label on them. Yes. Definitely the art community is very, like, I don't know, it's it's weird that there's even such a thing as an inside and outside, yeah, but and some an of them embrace. Of the outside. Yeah, some of them embrace the term. Some of them don't. There's one uh, man who I just thought of that he he has autism. He's nonverbal, completely nonverbal, mm-hmm. and he works out of a studio, like isolated studio in Japan, and he makes these like really complex um, ceramics that are just like little creatures with with all these different spikes, and he just kind of will make one ever like all. All the time, he's always making one. He's just wow. all, that's all he's ever doing. And then a family member of his kind of like, you know, encourages him and and sits with him and just takes his art and shows it. You know, it tours around the world in all these museums. And he just he doesn't even think anything of it. You know, once he's done sculpting one, he's just on to the next. He doesn't he doesn't care about where it goes or what happens to it. And so yeah. that that is a true outsider because he doesn't care at all about the fame or the fortune. Yeah. He just cares about the art. I think once an outsider realizes their greatness, yeah. that's where the problem arises. Like Banksy might even be a good example of that because for a while he was like the mythos of Banksy and then all of a sudden he his character became more important than the art. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I I don't know much about about Banksy, but um that's interesting too because they're they're there are a few of these people who are considered this. There's, there's an art house in, um, oh, I don't even know. I want to say Germany, but I'm just... It might be Germany. Though. Don't take my word for it. <laughs> but don't, don't quote Percy on that. <laughs> there's, a, there's like this art house somewhere in Europe or, or the Netherlands even. I don't know. But it's they um, artists who are in previously in psych wards or being like... Um, Kept, evaluated or yeah, yeah. held yeah kept in like places like that they kind of some of them got transferred to this house to just like have complete free reign and make all the art that they want because wow. they see it as like you know 
if you want to do this, we're going to give you the necessary tools to do it. And they're not hurting anyone. No, they're creating. Yeah. It's like, it's, there's literally like a psych ward almost type thing or like a, like a helpful institute that's just for artists. That's really cool. I want to visit it someday. (laughs) Just don't get admitted to it. Yeah. Just promise me that. Our time is up, but Percy, is there any final thought that you would like to share with the audience? Um, no, thanks for listening to me ramble. I mean, also thank you for allowing me on the show. It's, it's really cool to talk about geeky stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's funny. One of the things I love the most about doing this show is that I get to learn people's hobbies and interests that other people just like would never associate with them <laughs> on like a public scale, you know? Definitely. Thank you, Percy, for coming on the show. Thanks, Carla. If you'd like to keep up with Percy, you can check him out on Instagram at Percy. (laughs) I'm Gala Avery, and this has been The Gala Show. The Gala Show is brought to you by Insertomatic. This episode was executive produced by Roger Avery and produced by Gala Avery. Music composed by Andy Milburn. As always, I'm your host, Gala Avery. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives. I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's Project Avery dot org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart.